Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 54 of the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Hey, wait, let me stop right there. Because I think that it might be typical to think that I or somebody else might say, hey, welcome to the pod. Hope you're great. I can't wait to tell you about today's guest. You're going to love this interview. And by the way, that is true of today's guest. He is great, and I am anxious to share the conversation with you. But this is supposed to be more than a podcast. Yes, I'm here to have compelling conversations with people who can introduce you to new ideas and strategies that will help change the way you think, feel, and act. But this is supposed to be more than that. This is not just a podcast or an interview platform. It's supposed to be a lifestyle, a mission, a mission of reinvention and transformation, a mission to make sure that the next 25 years of our lives are the best 25 years of our lives, regardless of where we are in life, regardless of how old we are. This is supposed to be more than just a podcast, but a way of life. At least it's supposed to be. I want to share a few things with you. So a week ago today, my wife Janet and I and our son Logan go to our local high school football game. I run into this great gal that I know. Our kids play on the high school baseball team together, and this is a great family. And I know the family listens to this podcast, which to me is amazing. I mean, both parents and their son, who is a hard-charging, highly motivated teenager. So the mother looks at me and she says, we're always listening to your podcast. We love it. So how is your journey coming? And it was so genuine the way she said it, and even a little disarming, because people generally do not ask me that question, and certainly not like that. Generally, if somebody asks, how you doing? I long ago conditioned myself to just respond with, I'm great, how are you? Regardless of how I really was. This time, though, when she asked me how my journey was going, I answered it a little bit differently. I answered it a little differently because lately... I've had to get very real with myself. So I'm going to be very real with you right now. And in exchange, I'm going to ask you to be real with yourself too. So I tell her, you know what? Honestly, the journey right now is not so great. In fact, the journey is hard. Something has changed at work, which changed my process. And right now the struggle is real. That's the honest answer. But thank you very much for asking. And I thanked her and I said I would see her again soon. That, of course, was the proper response socially. Obviously, it's way deeper than that. Since I've had to get real with myself, now I am going to be real with you. This struggle is real, and so is the grind. And there are a lot of days where they're both kicking my ass now. My previously well-oiled machine and system suddenly and dramatically changed, putting stress on me and everybody on the team. And suddenly, we're working in some cases two and three times as hard as we were just to complete our current projects and to make good on the new ones that we had taken on. And that is making it near impossible to get to, wait for it, 
the great reinvention and transformation, which is creating more frustration and stress and anxiety because I'm in this daily battle and now I'm not making the same progress I was towards the much greater goal of reinvention and transformation. Hard to reinvent when you're just grinding and surviving show to show, pod to pod, day to day. Then, as the stress mounts, your coping mechanisms kick in, and they're not great. I start to use food. I hit the pantry. I drink a little more on the weekend to take the edge off. And then in so doing, I start to lose the edge that I worked so hard to get in the first place. And then it compound matters. You put on a few pounds that you busted your ass to lose. Then you feel even worse about yourself, and you start to beat yourself up. Next thing you know, you're spiraling. So ask me again how my journey is. Kind of fucked up. That's how it is. Now, I apologize to anybody that I just offended with that language. That was not necessary. I'll own that. However, it was real. And that's what's been going on. So now I want to share another story with you. I had this amazing conversation last week with former NFLer Jake Plummer. Jake has gone on this amazing journey of reinvention since his playing days, but he said something that stopped me dead in my tracks. I asked him about somebody that I knew and somebody I admired greatly, the late Pat Tillman. Pat, of course, left the NFL in his prime to enlist and become an Army Ranger post 9-11. Jake and Pat were very good friends, so I asked him what Pat was like, what he was like as a teammate, and what he was like as a friend. Jake said something to me that gave me chills, actually. He said, I'm glad you asked about Pat, Jim. Pat loved you, and he loved your show because you were real and you were honest. Now, I'm not going to lie. When he said that, that choked me up. It did. But so did what Jake was about to tell me, and it choked me up in a different way. Jake then said, People would frequently ask him to do interviews to talk about Pat. And while Jake didn't love doing the media, he did love talking about Pat because he loved Pat and he admired him so much. However, Jake also said he stopped doing interviews because he felt like he was not living his life and holding himself to the standards that Pat Tillman would have expected. And until he started to do that once again, he did not feel comfortable talking about Pat. And when he said that, I thought to myself, holy shit, exactly did that ever hit home with me? Who am I to talk about reinvention and this being a lifestyle and an identity and a mission if I'm not practicing the very things that I'm preaching and purportedly seeking myself? Now, don't get me wrong. I am. Well, certainly I was, and I will again, but that was a major wake-up call for me, a reminder that, yes, I have temporarily fallen off the path, but now it's time to get back on, right here, right now. I will never ask any of you to listen to this podcast and consume this content if I am not living that lifestyle and chasing it as hard as I can myself. So ironically, not only is today a new day, I was actually born on this day. That's right, 58 years ago today, and the mission has not changed, and the mission is to ensure that the next 25 years of our lives are the best 25, whether you're 58, 38, 78, or 18. I've had the hard conversation once again with myself, and now I've shared it with you, and that was not easy, but none of this is. 
Now, I'm going to ask you to have the same conversation with yourself. Who do you want to be? What are you willing to do? And what are you willing to give up to become that person? We don't need all those answers right now because it is a process. But we can and should do something right now, right here, right now. Let's all decide and commit to a new standard right here, right now, on this day. Look, I don't want to creep anybody out or get all woo-woo with it, but decide right here, right now, that this is the first day of the rest of your life, that this is the day you hit reset on your reset. Then we can all share this day because not only is it my birthday, but it's the day that we were all reborn and started anew, October 14th, 2022. Damn, now we all have the same birthday. Day freaking one, baby. October 14. It all begins anew right now. Back on the path, back to work, flip your mindset, you decide, you go. October 14th, a day of rebirth. Now we all share the same birthday. Now, that may seem pretty weird to you, but it also seems pretty freaking awesome to me. Let me be the first to wish you, if you are truly committed, a happy birthday. Happy freaking birthday. Day freaking one. Let's get it. Now, back to that great interview that I promised you. I had my booker go out to somebody that I had admired from afar, Alan Stein Jr., He's a speaker, he's an author, he's a performance expert, and I was eager to have him on. Not only did he agree to do the interview, but he said, brother, I've got a lot of business and a lot of friends and a lot of contacts in your area. Can I come in studio? Can we do it in person? I'll even get myself there. And I said, you know what? Absolutely. And I am so glad that he did. I'm so glad we came together because this is a person I admire greatly. He has tremendous energy. He is extremely uplifting. The kind of person you absolutely want to roll with. And I could not be more pleased with this conversation. And I've got a new brother in this pursuit of reinvention and transformation. He's a speaker, an author, a performance expert. He is Alan Stein Jr. And he's coming at you right now. Attention small business owners with five to 500 employees. Have you heard of the employee retention credit? You may have overpaid on your payroll taxes. And to find out if you qualify, you want to call my friends at Omega Accounting Solutions right now. A trusted advocate for small business since 2007, Omega has mastered the ERC process to help small businesses recoup paid payroll taxes during the pandemic. To date, Omega has recovered over $400 million in ERC cash for small businesses that were disrupted or shut down during the COVID-19 pandemic. That is up to $26,000 per employee and only 10 minutes of your time to see whether or not you qualify. It's a no-brainer. The time to take advantage of this exclusive tax credit is right now before the IRS filing window closes or the funds run out altogether. Trust in Omega. I know this team. It's a passionate team of seasoned accountants that are on a mission to help you get back the money that you need and you deserve for a free ERC evaluation or... If you have any questions about the process, chat with an Omega expert today. Just call 800-704-2000, 800-704-2000, or go to OmegaTaxCredits.com and get more information there. 
So, Alan, I've got tremendous respect and appreciation for your message, your point of view, your energy, what you speak about, what you teach. So it's not only great to meet you, but especially nice to have you right here in studio. You know, because of the COVID year, we didn't do too much of that. I'm getting back to that. Really nice to have you here. How you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm fantastic. And it's uh, that feeling is mutual. It's really an honor to meet you, and I'm excited to be here with you. All right, so you've got a number of books, and the most recent one is called Sustain Your Game, Manage Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat Burnout. I'm guessing that every single person listening right now is dealing with at least one of those things and maybe even multiples, and I'm going to be very transparent. I find myself pushing back against all three at times. So why don't we jump right into this? Stress is very clearly the silent killer. How would you define stress, or better yet, what is the best definition of stress you've ever heard? Modern-day philosopher Eckhart Tolle gave what I think is the best definition of stress, and that is the desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. It's actually denying reality. It's saying, I don't want things going on the way they're going on, and it's our resistance to the external world that actually heightens our stress. On some level, when you can learn to accept and surrender that what's happening is what's happening, it's a way to lower stress. Now, this doesn't mean that you like or prefer what is happening. It simply means you're not trying to fight against it because fighting against reality is a fight you will lose 100% of the time. All right, so you answered in part what I was going to get at. So how do we approach stress? For instance, do you look to attack stress? Do you look to diminish or diffuse it? Or maybe do you lean into it and figure out how to use it? I lean into it and figure out how to use it. I lean into it and say, okay, what's going on right now might not be my preference, but I can drastically lower my stress if I can concern myself more with a thoughtful response to the things that I do have control over. So how can I respond to the external world and these external circumstances in a way that will move me forward and improve my situation and thus lowering stress? So, Alan, it seems to me like when you think about what you write about and when you think about the things you teach, there's no way you can do these things unless you experience these things. So let me ask you, when was the last time you were truly stressed out? When was the last time you were really burned out or stagnating? What was going on in your life at that time? Well, two things that are important to clarify. One, I write about the stuff that I'm going through in my own life. Right. And I'm not coming from a place of mastery. So the reason I wrote a book on stress, stagnation, and burnout is because they're things that I've been wrestling with my entire life. And while I have not mastered them, I have found some systems and some processes and some perspectives that have allowed me to deal with them to a better degree. And that's that gives me tremendous liberation and it's, it's somewhat therapeutic to research and study the things that give me issues. So I'm I'm proud of the progress I've made, and I'm proud of the path that I'm on, and I handle stress today better than at any other point in my life, but it still rears its ugly head, and I still, because I'm a human being and infallible and flawed, find myself feeling stressed at times, and then I have to actually put this work into practice, which is my favorite part of it. All right, so before you started to learn these tactics and a process and a strategy, like give me an example. Were, were you overwhelmed, and what was that like? Because so many people are overwhelmed, and they think they're the only ones going through it, and they're not. Oh, they're definitely not. I think one of the first things any of us need to do when we encounter any type of problem or stress is to realize that that it feels unique to us, but it is not unique to the human experience, that we're all experiencing this uh, to some degree and on, on different levels. And I, I think one of the things that compounds some of our lousy feelings is when we isolate ourselves and think that we are alone and no one's going through it. So that's one of the reasons whether I'm sharing this on stage or I'm sharing it on page, I let folks know, you know, I'm going through the same stuff you are. I have the same challenges and struggles that you do, 
but here's what I'm doing to combat them and move forward. And these are the things that I want to share. So hopefully you all can do the same. And I, I think that that vulnerability is a connective tissue that kind of takes the air out of it, that lets people know, okay, this guy, he feels stressed just like I do. This guy's been burnt out. This guy's experienced stagnation. And I think that gives them a, a more optimistic view moving forward. You bet. So you are living that life. You are experiencing the types of things we all are. So what about that? Pragmatically and, and strategically, how do you start to work your way out of that? If somebody right now is overwhelmed and buried and they don't know what to do, what are some practical steps that they should take to start to work their way out of that state? The very first thing they do is they acknowledge that it's okay to not be okay. Right. And they remind themselves that this is a temporary situation. It's not my preference. I don't enjoy feeling stressed and overwhelmed, but that I actually can create the effort and attitude required to dig myself out of this. And this will be a process. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in certain mantras like this too shall pass. Another one of my favorites is today is always over tomorrow. So today is an incredibly overwhelming day. Wasn't my best day. I wasn't my best self, but guess what? I get another crack at this thing tomorrow morning and I'm going to take advantage of that. So just giving yourself permission to feel how you're going to feel is really important because it's the resistance that heightens that stress. So, so adding shame and guilt on top of the fact that you're feeling overwhelmed will only make it heavier, will only make it worse. So it's okay to take a deep breath, even smile if you will, and say, you know what, I'm feeling really stressed and overwhelmed now, but that's okay. I won't be this way forever. You know, so it seems to me you have to find a way to detach. Maybe simple, but not easy. Like theoretically, I understand that detach, detach, detach. But how do you detach and how important is this notion of detachment? Well, I love that you went in that direction and I love that you make the distinction between simple and, and easy because they're not synonyms, but people often use those words interchangeably. All of these things we're talking about now and everything I share in my books or from stage are very basic principles. My 12 and 10 year old children can understand them and can follow along, but none of this stuff is easy. There is nothing easy about feeling stressed and stagnant and burnout and overwhelmed and then being able to apply some type of practical strategy. Um, but it is there for the taking and that's, that's ultimately what we need to do. Have you ever experienced a flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. I have one now. It is incredible. The egg is the most versatile grill you will ever own. There's nothing you can't do on this thing. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. Wait for it. You can bake on this. Try a pizza on the egg. It will amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It is a ceramic marvel and it is backed by a lifetime warranty. You can literally pass this thing down through generations. It is simple to light. It's easy to use and it works with Without a power source, there is nothing to plug in. With the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. Yes, you can do that too. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com and have it delivered to your home for free. That's how we did it. BigGreenEgg.com. You will thank me later. So um, in terms of burnout, like I'm kind of an old school guy in the sense that my answer to almost everything is grind. 
put your head down, work harder. The only way through or the only way out is straight through. And it's gotten me where I am right now, but I'm not sure it's going to get me to where I want to go. Hence this conversation, hence this podcast. I, I know you may find this shocking, but I don't really bounce back the way I used to. I can no longer go on four hours sleep every single night and perform the way I need to. Burnout is a real concern for me, and I know it is for many others. What is the best way to avoid burnout? Well, the actual definition of burnout is when there is a misalignment between the meaning in what it is that you're doing in, in your work for this, this example versus the hours and, and sacrifices that you're making. So it's one thing to work long hours and to make sacrifices. But if you're doing that and you don't find meaning or purpose in your work, if, if you don't find it aligned with your core values, uh, if, you're, if you're not curious or fascinated by your work, if you don't feel like you're making a contribution to something bigger than yourself, if you can't check those boxes and you're working long hours and making sacrifices, it's not a matter of if you'll be burnt out, it's a matter of when. So the, the most important part is to connect to that meaning. Why do I do what I do? Does it excite me? Does it fascinate me? And if you can check those boxes and then you put some systems in place for some self-care where you're getting some sleep and you're, you're eating well and you're working out, that will allow you to combat those long hours. In other words, it's not just a matter of working long hours. No. It, that's not what that is. No. So what if what if already you are burned out? What if you're already fried? Like I'm so caught up in this. I've learned this about doing this podcast where I'll talk about these things philosophically and I'll get such good ideas and such good energy, but then people double back with, yeah, yeah, but but you didn't tell me how to get out of it. So if somebody already is fried, somebody already is burned out, is a matter of them having the wrong values. They're not living the life they want to live. Like if you're already burned out, what do you do to get out of that and get rejuvenated? You take a step back, you take a deep breath, and you try and figure out which of these things that I just mentioned are the actual culprit. You say, you know, 10 years ago, I found meaning and purpose in my work. I no longer find that same meaning and purpose. What's changed? You know, uh, maybe you work with different people. Maybe you've been assigned a different role. Maybe there's been something tangible that's changed in your work that, that you don't enjoy near as much as you did when you first started. So it's, it's, it's having a accurate uh, self-audit and having the self-awareness to figure out what it is. I can tell you with, from a firsthand example. So I spent almost 20 years as a basketball performance coach, and I loved every minute of that time when I was in it. But I really started to approach burnout. I was no longer as fascinated with uh, sets and reps and exercises and, and conditioning routines as I was with things like leadership, communication, and culture. Now, I've always had such a strong reference for the athletes and the coaches I've had a chance to work with, but the actual craft of being an on-court basketball performance coach no longer lit me up and it no longer excited me. So I had to figure out a pivot, and I chose to pivot into the corporate keynote, keynoting space where I could start to tackle things that I did find more meaning in, things that did fascinate me and light me up. Um, so that was an example of a, a, a pretty drastic pivot and reinvention that I had to make. <laughs> I was just going to say, that was your reinvention. A hundred percent. And I had to make the same reinvention, you know, for the first third of my life, I identified as a basketball player. I was fortunate enough to play at Elon University in North Carolina, but didn't have what it takes to be a professional player and have someone pay my bills to put a ball in a basket. So when I was graduating from Elon, it was time for a reinvention. I, I can no longer identify with being a basketball player. So what is it that I can do that I find meaning and purpose in that lights me up, that fascinates me, that's in alignment with the person I'm trying to become, that's in alignment with, you know, the things I'm curious about. So I decided to become a performance coach. And so was that, was that 
scary too. You understand, and, and you've done a really good job. I appreciate this because you know, in my day job, we talk. I talk sports all day long. You've done a very good job of, although you know basketball and you performed and lived at that level at a very high, high level. We're not talking just basketball, and I appreciate that. You've done a really good job, Tay, and thank you for that. But you were performing at a high level with some of the best athletes in the history of the world. That was part of your identity. You love that. You were good at that. You had a passion for it. They respected what you were teaching. When you decided, you know what? I've done that long enough. I want to try something else. And you had to pivot. You had to reinvent. Was that scary or was that exciting? What was that like that time? It was exciting. And I don't know if it was me being naive or being blissfully optimistic, but I didn't look at my career change as being as drastic as some others have told me that they thought it was. I looked at it as I was a performance coach whose job was to get my players bigger, faster, stronger, and more explosive on the court. But now I'm just gonna shift to a new audience and have different nuances, and I'm gonna teach folks in the corporate world how they can level up their mindsets and their discipline and their routines and focus so that they can perform at a high level. So I still very much identify with being a coach, with being a performance coach, I'm just no longer in the gym in, in, you know, shorts and Jordans teaching players how to run faster and jump higher. Now I'm in boardrooms and on stages teaching executives and sales professionals how they can level up their game. So I didn't really look at what I was doing as changing. I just simply looked at the audience and the message was changing. That makes sense. All right, so you're a huge proponent of being where your feet are. We talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. But from your standpoint, what exactly does that mean to be where your feet are? And secondarily, if you're not, what does that do to your stress level? So there are three things that you need to do to be where your feet are, which is another way of saying live present. The term I always use when I was working with athletes is you need to learn how to play present. And the three things that you need to do is you need to be able to refocus the lens on the next play. Don't worry about the play that just happened. What is the next play? You need to be able to focus on the controllables, your effort and your attitude. You have to control the controllables and you have to focus on the process. If you can do those three things, uh, next play, controllables, and process, then you are dialed into the present moment. And the present moment is the only place where we can be at our actual best. So that is the number one goal. And yes, when we are not present, when we are distracted by the past or we are anxious by the future and taken out of the present moment, it absolutely increases stress and overwhelm. I'm laughing because I fight this. I understand this. Oh, so do I. I fight this. I was going to say to you, you... You have everything under control, but shoot me straight. Is living in the present difficult for even you to do consistently? I would say it is the single biggest challenge that I face in my life every day. But where I'm very thankful, uh, and you should be as well, we both have an awareness of it now. And awareness is always the first step. You will never improve something you're unaware of, and you will never fix something you're oblivious to. So being able to acknowledge when you are not present is a huge first step. Uh, so we need to know, when am I distracted? When I was is, my, say, when when is he, my mind moderate? I was just going to say, when are you not present, and when are you distracted? You literally just asked the question for me. When are those things for you? What distracts you? There will be times where I'm out at dinner with my children, my three kids, and I know that I need to be present with them. But I'm thinking in the back of my mind, in two days, I'm going to be on Jim Rome's show, and, and I'm thinking about how this is going to transpire, uh, the interaction that you and I are going to have. And while I'm sitting at a table with my children, my mind is somewhere else. My mind and heart are thinking about something two days away. Now, the beautiful part is I have a level of awareness now that about 30 seconds into that, me visualizing what this experience is going to be like, I catch myself and say, hey, there's nothing I can do now 
just be present with your children. You know, as you and I talked before we hit record, these days are flying by as a parent. My kids are getting older at a very rapid rate. So I dial it back in and I get present. And then I realize there will be a time for me to be fully present with Jim on his show. And that's what my goal will be. Is there a trick? Is there like a, in, in your mind, you say, stop? I mean, how do you break that loop? How do you break that chain? Or is it just an acknowledgement that it's getting away from me? I need to reset myself. Well, I, I love that you lead it with be where your feet are. That is a phrase that I say to myself, I don't know, a dozen times a day. You know, anytime I find my mind wandering. And, and to clarify, I do believe in learning from the past. And I do believe in preparing for the future. I just don't believe in living in either one of those situations. I believe in being present as often as possible, and then when appropriate, learning from things that have transpired before and preparing for things that may and many times may not transpire. You know, so Alan, you and I talked before we started, before we hit record, like you said, you and I run in similar circles. We know similar people. And there's a guy that you and I both know and respect greatly, and that's Drew Hanlon. Yes. In fact, he does what you did. He trains with NBA in NBA skills with players. He talks about the importance of doing the work in the unseen hours. Yes. I think that's a phrase people know, but what does that mean to you, the unseen hours. Well, I should probably be paying Drew a royalty on that statement because he's he's allowed me to borrow it or steal it because I use it all of the time. Uh, I was with Drew one of the first times that he ever said it. He was doing a workout with Bradley Beal at a middle school in uh, St. Louis. And, and he basically said something to the effect of, you know, Brad, you need to know that what you're doing now, you know, before the arena is filled, before the cameras come on, before the cheerleaders start dancing, what you're doing right now will determine how well you'll play when the season starts. These are the unseen hours that we need to focus on. And, and in fact, when I landed at LAX yesterday, the first thing I did is I went straight to the gym to watch Drew. He was working out Zach Levine and KD. Uh -huh. and, and Drew, the work he puts in during the unseen hours, his level of detail with breaking down film, with designing workouts, is, is unparalleled. I mean, I, I consider Drew a mentor of mine, even though he's 15 years younger than I am. But this concept of unseen hours is one that, as I said, I've borrowed from him and I use in all of the work that I do because I believe it's what we do during the unseen hours that directly dictates what we do when everybody else is watching. All right, so for high performers, that makes sense. What about the people you work with now? You go to corporate America, you work with individuals. Even me, how do the unseen hours relate to all of us? What are we doing in the unseen hours? Well, yours is such a perfect vocation because your, your seen hours are seen by millions of people around the world. When these mics go hot and the cameras start rolling, everyone gets to see what they don't get to see is all of the preparation and due diligence that you've done beforehand that allows you to simply be present when the mics are hot and just do what it is that you do at such a world-class level. It's the same thing in basketball. I mean, we flip on SportsCenter and we watch Steph Curry drop 60 points, knock down 12 three-pointers, and most people are not privy to the fact, and thankfully I am, because I've seen behind that curtain, that the work that he puts in. I mean, do you have, I know you do, but do your listeners have any idea how many shots Steph Curry has made in an empty gym when no one is watching over the past 25 years? Tens of thousands, yeah. hundreds of thousands? Absolutely. Millions? I mean it's probably bordering on millions at this point. So... He's incredibly talented, and there's, I would never say anything diminishing about being able to score 60 points in an NBA game. But if you knew the type of work that he put in during the unseen hours, it, it actually becomes less spectacular and becomes more predictable. Of course Steph should, should score 60 points in a game. Do you know what this guy does when the cameras are off? 
So those unseen hours and it, we could go down the list. If you're a sales professional and you're listening to this. I was going to ask you what, that. What about a sales professional? We, what, what are you doing before you meet with a prospect or before you have a sales call or before you submit a proposal? How much work and due diligence are you doing? Not only for your own self-care routine so that you can be the best version of yourself, how much are you studying what it is that that client may need from you? Studying their industry, their specific needs, their challenges, their pain points. Can you articulate exactly what it is that they need your product or service for? And then when you do that, then, then this actual sales call is just a matter of being present and asking the right questions. Because I believe in sales, you should never have to convince anyone to buy anything from you. If you ask the right questions and your product or service is the right fit, they'll convince themselves. And the only way you can do that is by putting in work during the unseen hours and then being present. It's so true. Like I, I've always been on this opinion. Like I wish I were that smart because I, I know most people that listen to me are like, dude, how hard can that job be? He shows up, he cracks open the mic, he talks a little shit, does a few interviews. Hey man, must be nice. And I'm like, oh, it's nice. It's an amazing job, but I'm not that smart. I wish I were that smart. You would not believe the time that I put in and my staff puts in to do this and have done this over the years because we're not that bright. We're not that talented. I wish I were. I wish there was a hack i wish there was a shortcut there is not my guy there's not there's un and i'm not looking for any credit but i'm just saying i know exactly what you're talking about yeah there but, are unseen hours but you are smart enough to know that, that the unseen but hours only smart enough to know that <laughs> just that yeah. but i can't think of a single vocation where sheer charisma and sheer talent can be sustainable over right. years everybody can be hot for a moment but to have the type of career you've had for the length that you've had it there has to be processes and systems put in place during the unseen hours that allow you to do I this. I appreciate that. But for any vocation, right? Pure I'm, talent, pure absolutely. charisma, it will get you in the door, but it won't keep you there. Yeah. I mean, Alan, I could do this for hours and hours and hours. I want to ask you about a couple of things. Sure. And, you know, I knew Kobe Bryant a little bit. He and I would hang out a little bit. He was here in the 949, and I saw his process. And you understand this because you met him in 2007 and you've talked about how that encounter literally impacted and changed your entire life. What happened that day? So I was asked to work the first ever Kobe Bryant Skills Academy and, and Nike was starting to build these academies because they wanted to get back to teaching the fundamentals of the game. And they knew that the best way to do that was to get their marquee players and the best players in the game to teach the fundamentals to the, the high school and college players. And, you know, in 2007, it's my opinion, Kobe was the best player on the planet. And I had a chance to watch one of his early morning workouts. I mean, to the tune of he started at 3.30 in the morning. 3.30? Yeah, to let you know how early he well, would Only up. Ben Newman gets up before that. Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. And I remember being surprised as a young coach because I expected to see the best player on the planet do some stuff with some sizzle. I was expecting to see some sexy drills, some, some really innovative stuff, and instead he was just drilling down on the basics. I mean, the first 20 minutes, he didn't even have a ball in his hand. Mm. He was only doing footwork and pivoting drills. And then for the next 20 to 30 minutes, he was doing stuff that I had taught to middle school age players. And this, this really surprised me. So later that day at camp, I went up to him and I asked him, you know, basically out of naivete, I said, Kobe, you're the best player in the world. Why are you doing such basic drills? And he flashed that iconic smile, gave me a wink, but he said something that changed my life forever. He said, the best never get bored with the basics. And the reason I'm the best player in the world is because I work towards mastery of the basics. And that's when it dawned on me what you said earlier so brilliantly, that there is a difference between basic and easy, that, that the stuff he was doing was basic. 
But to be in a gym at 3.30 in the morning in the offseason and do it with the level of intensity and focus that he does it, there's nothing easy about that. If that was easy, every player in the world would be doing it. But he understands that that was the separator for him. And ever since then, that has been a foundational mantra of everything I do in my life. Not even just as a writer and as a keynote speaker. As a parent, I understand that developing a connection with my three children is built on the basics. The basics of being an active listener. The basics of being present. The basics of speaking their language and getting down on their level to understand what's important to them. These are basics. And when we leave the basics, that's usually when we start to see a massive decrease in performance. You know, it's funny. I he, I've always had this thing, and my wife understands this, that the way I've set my work life up, unless it's business related, I do not leave the home at night. I prep every single night. And, and my wife knows this. Janet knows this. The kids know this. It's just the way I work. I'm not saying it's right, wrong. It's just the way I work. So I don't. Unless it's business related or it's, or it's a family, it's a birthday, it's something special, we do it on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And I just, because this is what I need to do to be successful, to support them, and to put them in a position to have a great life, except, except Kobe Bryant on occasion would just hit me up and say, yo, fam, I'm at Javier's. Meet me for a drink, and I would drop everything, no matter what it was, a Wednesday, a Tuesday. And I never knew when I was going to get the text, but I would get the text. And it would happen you know, a few times a year, and I would always do that. One night, I'm out with the fellas, and I hit him up. I'm like, yo, Kobe, and it's off season. You want to meet us for a drink? We're at Javier's. It's Saturday night. He's like, yeah, yo, fam, I can do that, I think. I'll let you know. And sure enough, he shows up. One drink. I'm like, you want to get a steak? He's like, no, nah, I got to work out. I'm like, you got to work out. He's like, no, I have to work out with them. Dead serious. Nine o'clock, Saturday night, off season. He was headed back to the gym. And I know that wasn't for show. And I know that wasn't something to put in my mind. That was the level of commitment. I mean, I guarantee you hear that story and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you believe that, don't you? He did. He was going to the gym on a Saturday night at 9 p.m. to get a workout in. And I guarantee that was not his first workout of the day. Oh, it's a non-negotiable for him. Right. See, he sets those types of boundaries so it no longer even becomes a question. You may have asked the question, but he never actually asked the question, oh, I wonder if I should do this, because he set those non-negotiables. And in a, in a conversation that followed the one that I just shared, he mentioned the reason that he was getting up so early. He said the most driven and ambitious players in the NBA, in the offseason, the guys that really want to get good – they're going to come in twice a day for two workouts and they're going to come in mid morning and they're going to kill it for a couple hours and then they'll rest for a little bit and they'll come back in the afternoon. And he said, well, if I'm only doing what everybody else is doing, then I'm never going to create that separation. So I'm going to come in at three in the morning so that I'm getting my first workout while they're still sleeping. And while I'm leaving the gym after my first workout, they're coming to the gym for their first workout. I'm always one step ahead. And he said that that isn't going to make much difference in a couple weeks or a couple months or even one off season, but you start to stack years and in his case decades and he said no one will ever be able to catch me because every time you're doing one I'm doing two every time you're doing two I'm doing three and I'm doing it at a level that you simply can't match and and I make this disclaimer now I mean, Kobe was an anomaly as a general rule of thumb I don't believe that more is better so my the, the lesson that I don't want folks pulling from this is well if if my competition works 16 hours a day I should work 20 the, the, the mindset is what do you need to do to separate yourself from others and how can you make that a part of a non-negotiable list of things that you will commit to? And, 
and and, and Kobe has been. See, it's funny you say that, that. That's what I'm saying. That that's what my concern is because my my response always is work harder, grind harder, old school. And you're saying, yeah, maybe not. More is not necessarily better. More might be less. So when you say that, is it? There's nothing universal, right? It's up to the individual to figure out what it is you have to do to get better, right? Absolutely. I believe better is better. And and yes, it's it's easy to go to the default of just stacking on more, but everyone needs to find what's the right amount for them. And and I think Kobe uh, had an insatiable obsession, but he also had a work capacity that most people aren't able to keep up with. I mean, you know, I have so many high school players would hit me up and say, hey, should I be working out at 3.30 in the morning? And I'd say, no, you need to be sleeping because your body needs that rest. You're going to lead to injury. You're going to lead to mental burnout. You know, it's not your job to try to keep up with what Kobe was doing. You need to find the exact right amount for you and then make that a non-negotiable. And then if you're going to be in the gym for 90 minutes, you make it the most focused and intense and game-specific 90 minutes that you can. But we, we don't need to try to mimic what everybody else is doing. We need to find the secret well, sauce that, that's best for that us. That comparison game's dangerous, right? I mean, we, so we want to be the best version of ourselves. We He was an outlier and an anomaly and something different. Before you go, I have to ask you this because I always ask people like you this because I really want to know. This, when you met him, like you said, he was the best player in the world. This was not a young lion on the way up. He was already an icon, already a legend, and still grinding and fighting obsessively. That's the word you used, obsession. It seems to me if you want to be the top of any field or any walk of life, you got to be committed, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be relentless. You have to be obsessed. Kobe was that. I used to talk about Kobe, and Kobe would speak in reverential terms of Michael Jackson. Like, that was his guy in that process. You know, Steph Curry you've worked with, Kevin Durant you've worked with. These guys are all relentless. They're obsessed. Here is my question. Why? How? How much of this is hardwiring and how much of this is a decision? How much of this is the way they came up in their environment? How much of this is a mindset that they learned or created? Why are these people like this in terms of their relentlessness? I think it's a combination of everything that you just mentioned. Uh, I do think some of it is almost inborn and, and the seeds that were planted when we were really young, you know, so the, the nurture, you know, what, what did we see our, our parents doing, our closest friends, our coaches, what were some of our first experiences? But then a lot of it, I do believe, is, is, is learned and modeled along the way. Um, and, and these guys, I, I will say one of the distinctions, and this is a distinction, well, there's a long list of distinctions between me and Kobe, but uh, the one that sticks out to me is Kobe wanted to be the best. I'm not real concerned with that. I'm only concerned with being my best. I'll let everybody else decide where my best ranks among other speakers and writers. That doesn't concern me at all. All I'm looking to do is to be better than I was yesterday. Can I work towards mastery of my own craft every single day? That's what matters to me. But these guys had, I mean, they had a much higher bar. And, and Kobe made no bones about the fact that he wanted to be the greatest player that ever lived. And I think a few of these other guys are wired very similarly. And, and for me... You know, and this is pure speculation, it appears to be a little bit of a gift and a curse. I mean, on some level, it's a little bit of a prison. I can't fathom, you know, pouring out champagne after winning uh, a second straight NBA championship and within minutes thinking, how am I going to win a third? It, not even taking time to let the champagne dry. Right. So I think we're all wired slightly different. And I think Kobe's mindset and construct worked great for him and his personality and what worked well. But I can tell you for certain that one doesn't work well with me I, in my life. I, I can't stress how important I think that is what you just said. I mean, shouldn't we all aspire to that? How many people truly 
ever, never mind become the best ever or the best in the world, how many people ever come close, close to being the best version of themselves? Yes, and that should be the yardstick. I mean, absolutely. I mean, think of it, one of the hottest debates that we ever have in in the NBA is you know who is better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I mean, I, I think everyone can take a step back and say what LeBron James has done over the last twenty years is absolutely unbelievable in a variety of regards. But he can't even escape the comparison game of someone saying, "Yeah, you've done all of this for twenty years." But dot, dot, dot. So I think in order for me, and I can only speak through the first person, for me to have some inner peace and to sleep well at night, I just simply refrain from playing the comparison game at all. I just want to know that what I'm doing is the best I'm capable of at that time with the tools that I have, and I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may. And am I doing better work today more consistently than I was a year ago or five years ago? And if I can say yes to that, the, the question I ask myself every single night before I go to bed I say, I just traded 24 hours of my life for the progress that I made today. Am I happy with that trade? And if I'm happy with that trade, I get a real peaceful, sound night's sleep. And on the rare occasion where I'm not, today was not my best day, I was not my best self, I still sleep well because I know I got another crack at this thing tomorrow and I'm going to make a, a better effort tomorrow. All right, so one more thought. You write about energy, and I think we all know people that have really good energy, right? And I don't mean the kind of energy where you slammed a few Red Bulls and so now you've got great energy. I'm talking about good energy. You vibrate well. You're throwing off good energy to the universe. And then we know people who are the opposite, you know, low energy, poor vibes. They're the ones who suck the life out of the room. You do write about energy. What is the best way to maintain and boost energy so you do not become an energy vampire that people do not want to be around? Prioritize self-care. So you prioritize sleep, you prioritize physical movement, you prioritize nutrition. Um, but then you also make sure that you're doing work and or having relationships that you find meaningful and purposeful and that, that actually excites you and light you up. If you can do those things consistently, then en energy is a, is a replenishable resource. Time isn't. This clock is ticking for all of us. The sand that has dropped in my own hourglass, I'll never get back. I'm 46 years old at the time of this recording. There's nothing I can do to get back the 46 I've lived, but I can take steps to make sure I'm constantly replenishing my energy so that the next 46 are the best that I've ever lived. And that's that's really how I operate. Yeah, but you, you look amazing. How much of this is genetic and how much of this is the fuel that you're running on? What you eat, the time you spend in the gym, do you drink at all? I'm really, I mean, I can't help but be curious. Dude, your energy is great and you look amazing. Well, I appreciate that very much. Um, I would say it's mostly lifestyle choice. Uh, you know, I I don't drink a whole lot. I'll enjoy uh, some tequila on the rocks or some red wine every now and then. Um, but generally speaking... Dude, if we know our guy Milet, we have to have tequila on occasion. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And I, look, I look forward to that day. But no, it, it's, it's you get what you emphasize. And I emphasize self-care. I emphasize sleep. I emphasize moving my body. I emphasize doing work that I find meaningful, making a contribution to others. And if I can do that consistently, then it allows me to keep my, my energy at a high level. But I'm not perfect. And I don't use perfection as any type of barometer. To me, progress is way more important than perfection. And I do make decisions occasionally that are not in alignment with me working towards the person I'm trying like to what? become. Well, well here, here's the filter that I hope everybody finds really helpful. I'm 46 years old. I am crystal clear on the man that I want to be 20 years from now. Now, I recognize time is not promised. There's nothing that guarantees I'll be around who, for 20 who, years. Who do you want to be 20 years from now? What kind of man do you want to be 20 years from now that you are not right now? No, here's the thing. I want to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. 
I want to have a deep connection with my children, family, friends, and loved ones, and I want to be doing work that I consider meaningful and adding value to the world. That is what I want to do 20 years from now. So every single decision I make in my life, from who I follow on Instagram to what I watch on Netflix to what I eat for lunch, I try to make sure is in alignment with becoming that person. But here's the beautiful part. I'm not postponing becoming that person because I'm making those decisions in real time on a day-to-day -day basis. And I say this with all humility. At present right now, I am physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. I do have a wonderful connection with my kids and my friends and my family, and I am doing work that I consider meaningful uh, and in service of others. But I need to keep laying those bricks in order to make sure that is also the person I'll be 20 years from now. So I'm designing my future based on the decisions that I'm making in the present moment, but I'm not delaying my future because I'm reaping those benefits right because now. Because you are extremely intentional. Now, if that's who you wanna be in 20 years, were you doing these things 20 years ago? Some of them, not all of them. Yeah, there were, I don't think I had the clarity then. And, and some of that I just think is, you know, youthful immaturity, you know, not when you're 20s. Yeah. When you're twenties, you're not really thinking how, who am I going to be when I'm 60? You know, when you're twenties, I don't even think you start to contemplate your own mortality. 60 was the oldest person in the world at that point. Absolutely. I think about my mortality all of the time now. And that's another reason that I don't take time for granted because I realize that no matter how good a care I take of myself, and obviously Kobe Bryant is a living example of this, nothing is promised. Nothing promises that I'll see 66, but I also don't want to live in fear of that. I, I wanna live a life now where I'm planting these seeds and I'm laying these bricks so that when I am 66, anyone that's around that's been listening to this show today, don't be surprised if that's the man I've become because those are the decisions that I'm making right now. And you're, not, you're, not, leaving, you're not leaving to chance. You, you have a plan, you're working your plan, you have a blueprint, yes. and then you will adjust as you go. Alan, there's such amazing stuff like, like this. I knew this would be good. This is even better than I thought. I appreciate you so much. It's so good to see you here. For those, in addition to the several books that you've written, if people want to learn more about you, what you teach, if they want to bring you in to speak and work with their companies, what is the best way for them to get in contact with you and get this information, which is so valuable? The main hub is allensteinjr.com. That has information on all of my speaking programs. I have a supplemental site, strongerteam.com. has information. I have a podcast, as you mentioned, the books, an online course. I do some coaching. Uh, and I'm very easily found and very accessible and responsive on social media, just at allensteinjr, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And I love dialogue. I love engaging. If anyone wants to continue this conversation through some DMs, by all means, reach out because this stuff really fills me uh, up. Are you doing personal coaching? Like what is the most important thing to you in terms of reaching people, serving people and making a change? Is it public speaking? Is it through writing? What's the thing that, that resonates the most with you right now in the way you approach it and it's push and push your content? It's definitely the keynote speaking. That's my favorite part. And I love that. And, and I love because I, I appreciate an opportunity to share things that I believe will add value to others. You know, a mantra that I lived by that I learned at a young age was a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. So that's what I view my work as. My job is to light as many candles every single day as I can and to pour into people. And I love doing keynote speaking, but social media, writing books, one-on-one -on -one coaching, these are just other tiers and other ways and other platforms to be able to light people's cameras. And that's really what fills my own bucket 
while at the same time I'm hoping that I'm filling others. You know what's the problem? When I find somebody that I like, I keep saying, I've got one more question, one more question, <laughs> but you keep saying important things or interesting things. What about social media? I promise will be my last thought. Social media, it can be such a good thing. It can be such a positive thing, but you want to be so careful what you consume, what you read, what you see. You do not want to go down that rabbit hole. You don't want to scroll. Like... What are your thoughts overall on how we should use and consume social media? Well, I'll just say what has worked for me. So I realized about a year ago that I had an an issue with social media where I was consuming it way too much. So I decided to take all of the social media apps off of my phone. Like like the junk food of social media? Or were you pursuing knowledge and just spending too much time reading other people rather than developing your own? Or what do you mean by that? You had an issue. It was the latter. I have always been incredibly careful about what I feed my mind. I am just as diligent about what I feed my mind as what I feed my body. So I am following folks like you and our mutual friends like Ed Milet and David Nurse and Ben Newman and Drew Hanlon. So I was following good stuff, but I was spending an inordinate amount of time taking in all of their content uh, as opposed to creating and curating my own. So I decided to take it off of my phone. I only have it on my my laptop and I only check it once or twice a day. And that's just a system that I've put in place that puts some guardrails up around it. But I find social media is a tremendous tool to engage and meet people that you otherwise might not have been able to meet. It is a great tool to learn if you're following the right people. So make sure you are following the type of people that are lighting your candle and filling your bucket. Uh, and, and, and it's a great way to uh, share information. I mean, again, I take tremendous amount of satisfaction in sharing things that I hope others find helpful, and it's a wonderful platform to do it. So those are the reasons that I'm still on social media. I just don't let social media run me. I run it. I just want to say what you said. that It really resonates. When I went to Wisconsin for a couple of weeks, my most recent run in Wisconsin, normally when I go on vacation, I bring books, books, because I can't, because of my normal grind, I don't have time to read the nonfiction outside of the prep that I have to do. This time, I said to myself, don't, don't bring a book. Write your book. You've been trying to get to your book. Stop reading all this other stuff, which makes me feel good and it's food for thought. But there was a conscious decision. Do not pick up another book for these two weeks and work on your book. I didn't get as much work done on my books as I want to, but same thing you're saying. Like these are all good people that we respect, that we get something from, but we'll never develop our own if we're constantly reading everybody else. Yeah, we just have to put guardrails up. I mean, I do believe that the quality of our inputs dictate the quality of our outputs. So the most important thing, regardless of volume, just make sure the people that you are reading, watching, and listening to are adding value to your life and giving you stuff that you can use. Now, this doesn't mean that you only follow people that already agree with your perspective. I follow and read stuff that is completely counter to my current belief system because I want it to challenge me. I either want to learn something new or I want to strengthen my own convictions. So this is not about insulating yourself in a filter bubble where you're only taking in people that walk, talk, and think like you. We don't change. We don't evolve. But we just have to be very careful about what it is that we let in and more importantly, the the volume that we we let in. Yeah, Yeah, but don't don't get into fights with dumb people about dumb things and get hooked and then all of a sudden it impacts your quality of life and your quality of thought yeah i used to always say you are what you eat but we are what we consume it's so much more than what you put in your body it's what you put in your mind and to that point and i better stop now or we won't leave and i appreciate you so much thank you very much that was an amazing conversation i can't wait to push this out and share it with the world and thank you just absolutely great to see you thank you this was a true honor i appreciate you My man, Alan Stein, just throwing off great energy and vibes. This is the type of person I want to associate with. Like, we all know the kind of people that have really good energy. 
And I don't mean the kind of energy that you get when you slam a few Red Bulls, but I'm talking about positive energy. They just seem to vibrate well with everybody and the universe as a whole. And they're not only and they're able to not only lead the most important people in their lives, but themselves as well. And we also know the opposite of that type of person, right? The energy vampires, the ones who suck the life out of every room they walk into. Don't be an energy vampire. Don't roll with energy vampires. He's got the type of energy I want. When I took this podcast on, it was in part to meet with and have conversations with people like that. So many thanks to Alan Stein. Make sure you get his latest book, Sustain Your Game. It is the latest in a series of books that he's written, and it's a tremendous read. And once again, if you are committed and you're in this thing with me and you're ready to commit right here, right now, to setting a new standard and hitting reset on the reset and making this, in fact, the first day, the first day of the rest of your life, then let me say, happy freaking birthday. I will always remember this day because it's actually my birthday. So just know, we all now have the same birthday. If you think that's cool and you understand that, then do me a favor, hit subscribe, and then hit me with a five-star review. If you think that's goofy and cringe, I get that too. But hit subscribe and leave me a five-star review anyway. I appreciate you all more than you will ever know, and I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rohn. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.